tonight we are four. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stephen Coyle, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. I'm very yeah. glad to be here. Woo. This is my first uh, guest podcast appearance, I think. Fantastic. So we decided that um, rather than actually release any apps of our own, we'd just bring on somebody else who was good at releasing apps. <laughs> and then we'd be more of a show about making apps. Podcast hack. <laughs> well, uh, I hope to be um, to be a good representative of someone who releases some apps. Yeah. Do you want to give us a bit of uh, your background? Yeah. Um, well, I... I'm mainly a composer, kind of, or a musician by sort of trade. I did, like, my academic background is um, I did music, and then I went specialized first in performance and then into composition. And then I think almost about two years ago, uh, just as January passed, I started writing, um, learning Swift and writing iOS apps. And so that sort of has uh been the reason i ended up sort of bridged from the music community into the sort of tech and apple community and since that i've kind of been releasing um game little you know not particularly complex but sort of games um on ios so far and basically i am now kind of finishing up my phd in music and sort of looking forward to being able to have a bit more time to kind of focus on the app development stuff a little bit more intensively at the minute it's been sort of a pastime or a hobby and kind of eager to to kind of flex my muscles a bit more on that now yeah can you say the name of your apps actually yeah um check them out. so my first app was the kind of the reason that i started learning to code in the first place it's called tapped and it's it's basically a game where you can tap a little button and it it'll say the name of a song so the one i always use um for the tutorial is happy birthday because everybody knows it and mm-hmm. so when you push the button, it'll play the first note of happy birthday. And then each time you push the button, it plays the next note. And the challenge is to play the tune in sort of something like the real rhythm. And the better you do, the more points you get. And that was the first one. The second, uh, I'm going to have to have a, l- a little look at my list here because I can't really, <laughs> I, it's not so much the the individual apps, but it's the order that I did them in. Oh, yeah. The second one then was a game called Word Flash, which I did um it's kind of a competition with my brother to make an app or something in 24 hours and see who could get the most downloads. <laughs> so uh, I made that. It's just a very simple, um, like words flash up on the screen and then a little button comes up or three little buttons come up and ask you to choose the word that you didn't see in the list. And it's kind of, it's it's fun because it gets very difficult and frustrating very quickly. Um, then the next, actually the next one was the first non-game app I did. Um while I had heard a lot of sort of success stories, I think around aftermath of the release of iOS 9 about how people had made like suddenly made lots of money with ad blocker apps and making use of like the Safari content blocker API and the kind of what everyone thought was going to be the big API in the next version of iOS was the iMessage apps thing. So I made an iMessage app that subsequently I think has maybe had 10 or 12 downloads. So okay. uh, I think it didn't turn out to be the gold rush that I'd hoped. And I actually didn't know about that app. Yeah, me neither. So it kind of turns um, your message into like, it, right, it is, it, did you use the impact font for that sort of icon has cheeseburger style text? Uh, it's a little bit like that. It's, it does use the impact font because it seemed like the most the the thickest paintbrush imaginable for kind of punchy messages uh it's called the hyperbolizer because it sort of tries hmm. to hyperbolize your message so if you type 
if you type a message, I basically have a little lookup table of um, kind of punchier or memeier phrases. It can replace phrases in your message with, and sort of it makes it more hyperbolic and a bit more exciting. And it changes like it changes one exclamation mark to two exclamation marks, and changes the full stops to exclamation marks and silly things like that. <laughs> um, it's kind of fun, but it's sort of um, it was interesting to do because it was a very different challenge technically to the to the game I'd made before. And I also had to learn for the first time I had to learn stuff like the collection view stuff uh, that kind of it required for the sticker view in iMessage. And so it was a bit more okay. a bit more of an intensive experience in terms of actually learning how like a fixed uh, framework works on the actual OS side of things. And then let me see. I made a game this is an interesting one, I think. Uh, it doesn't. It's not released. I made it over the summer. I think each of you may have tried it that time I was down. Yes, in, uh, did, July. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, the, it's a fun. It's a weird game because uh, it's. I kind of feel like it's the. It is to harmony what tapped is to rhythm, where it sort of tests you on. Um, it gives you a little tune, and you have to arrange other notes to be in harmony with it according to certain sort of rules, and. The main reason I haven't released it is because it seems like I'm the only person who understands it. Maybe, actually, the only two people who've been actually good at it are me and my supervisor, who's like a professor of music for 30 years. <laughs> so I feel like it might be a little bit di difficult <laughs> to get the hang of. And I haven't really found a way of uh, of making it easy or making it intuitive. So it's kind of been put on the back burner indefinitely for the time being. And... Yeah, I feel like I'm just listing a, a, a big laundry list here. But the next game I made was called Deja, which I released um, yeah. in September, I think. I released it, yeah, just before the new App Store came out, which is interesting. Something I might want to talk about uh, afterwards, which is uh, kind of something interesting to, to have an app be on the App Store sort of from the transition to the, the previous version of the App Store to the kind of revamped one that came out along with iOS 11. Uh, it's basically a quiz app. Um, it's inspired by a two Ronnie sketch, which is the one where um, they're on Mastermind and the guy's <laughs> specialist subject <laughs> is answering the previous question. <laughs> so it basically asks you a question and then it asks you another question. But for the second question, you have to put, type in the answer to the first one. It's, it's surprisingly infuriating. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, That was probably the most interesting release Um because it it uh, I put it up and then it was up for like a week or two and it sort of languished. I was kind of disappointed because it didn't seem to be getting any downloads at all. Um, Tapped took off a little bit more because it seemed to get a bit more. Uh, it got covered on Touch Arcade and a couple of other sites like that reviewed it. So it sort of gave it a little bit of a shot in the arm for downloads. Whereas Deja seemed to languish and then it got covered on Touch Arcade and still didn't really get any downloads. And then suddenly it uh, the downloads like picked up hugely, and I realized it was because it was featured in like the I think it was new games we love on the UK app store. Congratulations, that's great! Wow. Thank you very much. Um, it was interesting because it's it shows like it showed really really starkly the the power of being featured because it sort of got these huge download figures for um, the time that it was featured, and then it basically dropped down right afterwards. So. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, how, how big an impact being even like with a relatively minor feature on the app store like that can have on your, your figures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, since then it sort of dropped. I think 
that was the thing I mentioned about the App Store changeover. Um, I feel like the overall like background rate of downloads whenever they've my apps haven't been featured and stuff has been lower since the new app store and i think it's because it sort of has this i mean it's slightly more like a rock star um economy now where you get the big apps that get featured on the really prominent uh homepage, and then everything else is sort of pushed one level down in terms of, of prominence to the users uh, so that's been an interesting, you know, interesting comparison. I haven't really looked to see if anybody else, if any other sort of indie developers have noticed similar trends uh, or if it's just, if it's just mine, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a good thing. Definitely. If we have more guests on, I suppose, to ask them that question, you know, pick up a load of questions. We can just start asking people. Because mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's interesting as well, because just the, the angle that you're coming at from it like we're all uh, like we're all corporate developers let's let's be honest that our, our indie dreams have all been crushed um <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't really matter what you know um you know you might be making an app for uh you know a, a company and it's you know it's on their account you don't know you know you've built the app you you set it free and that's that's kind of it like it's not mm-hmm. um it's it's not your baby afterwards so it's it's mm-hmm. it's something that we're we're interested in um from the uh, I, I suppose from 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 the indie point of view or for some um the and the new app store point of view but it's something that we're just we're so far removed from in the last the last mm-hmm. few years yeah i mean it's it's really interesting you know because equally so for for i mean i listen to your podcast and then the likes of you know under the radar which has sort of fairly high profile but still independent developers and it's like it's really fascinating to see you know the different ways you have to approach it whenever your your budget or your target audience or whatever is like is so different from from the the other people's um i think all of it has left me at, at the current point where i kind of i'm really eager to try making an app that isn't a game because the you know the games i think i i kind of uh I think it's probably just because of the kind of mindset I've had to develop as a composer, I tend to constantly be thinking of sort of maybe reframing ideas. And I think that mindset sort of lends itself well to coming up with little game ideas. But they kind of, you know, once they're made, there's not a lot of progression um, beyond that point. And you kind of, once the concept is nailed down in the code, it's basically a case of rigging up like a UI to go around it. And then that's pretty much it done. Whereas I'm now kind of, once I have the time after the PhD is finished, I want to get into something that's a little bit more, you know, it's got a little bit more growth to, to it in terms of maybe, you know, make a version that has X number of features and then sort of try to build upon that and actually have a have a timeline for the app itself in terms of growing in features rather than just something that kind of has some downloads and then disappears, like like which is basically the way games sort of, you know, are are on iOS in general. Do you think you'll stick in the the music style apps, or are you going to go uh, kind of outside of? Uh, it's a good question. I think I'm probably uh, probably no more likely to go with a music app than any other kind, just depending on what what particular idea I come across. I mean, obviously, the 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 idea of doing some kind of music education app or something like that is tempting, just because it's sort of an existing uh, like knowledge base that I have. But at the same time if i come up with an idea that i think is maybe a bit more uh unique or a bit more interesting because there's so many other other music education apps and so on there if i think i come up with something that's a bit more niche and a bit more um a bit more of a kind of fertile 
thing to exploit, then I'll probably not be necessarily tied to music uh, for that, if that makes sense. I had a question about um, kind of revenue models, Stephen. So with mm-hmm. Tapped, you went for ads and two quid to turn them off. Um, mm-hmm. And Deja Quiz has question packs. Mm-hmm. Um, having tried those two models, what do you feel about sort of monetization in the App Store? And what, what approach did you take with uh, Tapped 2 then? Well, I think uh, the the main issue with this is the drastically different sample sizes that I'm comparing if I'm trying to draw any you know definitive um, conclusions about it. But with Tapped, uh, originally I didn't have any ads. It was just you could buy level packs there as well, but it didn't really fit the, the style of the game just because um, I think the game itself sits so it's uh, having a kind of a wide selection of packs available just because you might only like one song or two songs from the particular pack. So I kind of about six months into tapped switched to the current model, which is the ads, and then you can pay to remove them. And I find with tapped, uh, it didn't really affect the amount of money the app itself brought in from in-app purchases. And then there was the kind of small layer on top of uh, ad revenue. So it was generally it made a little bit more money. Uh, after the revenue model change then when it came to deja it's um it's kind of a hybrid of the two models because it has ads and then if you buy a question pack if you buy anything it removes the ads and then gives you whatever the purchase was so if you buy a question pack you get Mm. the questions and you get the ads removed as well or if you buy you can buy hints and if you buy the hints uh you get the hints plus the ads go away as well so basically buy anything and the bonus that comes with that is to um is to get the ads removed the the problem with deja in general was that nobody bought it uh it it got uh, let me see if i can just quickly get out the figures here to see uh it's had about 11 or twelve thousand downloads but wow i think yeah i mean i'm very happy it was a, a, such a thrill because it was sort of um it was a little bit like i had a video that i put up on the internet about three years ago that kind of went viral and it got like half a million views within a couple of days. And it was a real thrill uh, at the time just because I was such a, a novice to the likes of things like that and to the internet. And it was a big kind of novelty just to see lots of people watching the video. And then the feeling with Deja was very similar just because it sort of took off under its own steam to an extent because of the App Store feature. And then I was able to watch the kind of the figures ticking upwards. Um, if I look at the figures, yeah, it's had eleven or twelve thousand downloads, I think. But then, total paying customers is uh, to the to my according to my own analytics here, it's seventy. So it's a really, really tiny percentage, even compared to the likes of Tapped. So I think I don't know whether it's uh, a difference because the majority of the downloads for Deja were in the UK because that's where it got featured, whereas Tapped uh, majority amount of its downloads were in the US. And then there's so many different factors. It's very difficult. It's I find it very difficult to figure out exactly what it is about the game that makes people less likely to pay. I'd I'd bet you know maybe it's because it makes them feel really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. Um, I still bought it, but still, you know. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad someone did. You're one of the seventy. It's a very exclusive club. Um, but yeah, I think then. So I made tap two. Mainly, I didn't really plan to make tattoo. I just sort of, um, it was over Christmas and then I just was sort of, I was really not in the mood to do sort of PhD related work because I was mainly sitting over at home with my family and sort of on the couch and 
in a haze of chocolate and sweets and the kind of things you have after Christmas and turkey, obviously. Uh, but I sort of I started it because I thought I thought of a couple of um, changes I wanted to make to Tapped, and then I hadn't worked on it in a while. And then I also had kind of forgotten that it was like some of the code was literally the first code I ever wrote because I was literally learning how to do it as I did it. And so I, I find that I no longer knew how most of the app worked. And I even <laughs> and so then the idea of sort of trying to add new stuff to it was was pretty hellish. And so I ended up kind of thinking first, I'll quickly, you know, redo some of the stuff that that's pretty easy to do compared to when I did it first now. And uh see if I can improve it and then it ended up just being different enough that I thought it might annoy people if I suddenly changed the whole app and changed the way it worked and changed the songs um because the way that because of the way that I changed it I needed to remake the song packs so I thought it would be better just to release it as a completely separate thing and people can play it if they want but it's not going to take away the app that they already had um, if they'd paid for it before and I went with the same model basically as as the first one, which is that there's some ads and it's I'm trying to think. I can I can almost not remember. I think it's basically um ads and then you get a little bonus feature and the ads go away if you uh, if you do the in-app purchase. So like you get to have a mode where it can just randomly play songs from different song packs rather than playing like a particular song pack and it removes ads for like two dollars and Again, it's had a similar problem to um, Deja, except more so because it didn't get featured. So the downloads overall have been a lot lower. Um, the kind of proportion of people who paid and the proportion of revenue is a little bit healthier than Deja, but the numbers, the overall numbers are tiny. It's, it's currently had just about 900 and something downloads and nine purchases. So it's sort of hitting around the same percentage as tapped. It's just, the original tapped. It's just not had the kind of gross numbers to to sort of um even just to get a kind of feel that it's a representative sample of people it's not it does it feels like there's too small a number there to really make any any serious judgments spoken like a true phd candidate <laughs> <laughs> well I, i've been gearing up for uh guarding every everything i say with sort of facts and evidence and logic so i'm glad to hear that it's it's paying off that's it yeah it'll take a while to to, to get through that i think I think so, yeah. Um, I need to casual things up a little bit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, that's... that's. Um, I don't want to say, like, I'm soured from the experience of making games because I, I'm, like, I'm not. I still... I, I decided I wasn't going to make any more games and then I subsequently had an idea for another game. So I may make that or not. But uh, it's been interesting because it sort of confirmed to me that I want to try something that's maybe a little bit more substantial and a little bit more maybe something that'll make people feel more worth paying for and maybe more worth paying like having a sustained market of people that'll you know keep buying it rather than just have this burst of downloads and then sort of nothing afterwards at least that's the plan so i have a question for the three of you i suppose <clears throat> uh based on steven's experience like are there things that apple can reasonably do to ensure a healthier uh market or ecosystem for indie devs like for apps or is it just a numbers game in that there are so many developers that the pie is just not big enough for everyone like 
it seems you know we're 10 years of the release of the sdk or whatever the anniversary is that was was recent and we seem to have gone from the app store being an area where devs could indie devs could make money to an area where for many if not most indie devs it is a real challenge to get any traction like can apple do anything is it apple's fault in the first place i suppose just more filtering options would be a good thing maybe you could search by location so you could search for all irish app developers or something like that or just had a i don't know i suppose if you're browsing reddit and stuff you know you can always find like the new stuff that's coming in like not have to find a section that's new apps but you know most recent apps that were released or anything like that or stuff that could be trending um you know stuff that people could probably put a bit more effort into themselves to try and find apps um people might use that but yeah i I guess it's it's too hard for them to give everyone an equal amount of promotion or anything like that um but if there was ways of just filtering different things or different apps down a bit more um that might help what about trials then like what about being able to download tapped two for 10 days before mm. deciding to buy or not do you think that would i think that's the yeah that's the, i think a big issue because you know um they might like tapped is free to download and it's still incredibly hard just to get people to kind of overcome that step so i don't know i'm not sure how much free um free trials are going to incentivize it's i think it's more about getting it in front of people's eyes rather than yeah sort of, yeah and i think apple have have tried um something similar like remember they had a genius recommendations yes. before mm-hmm. which is i i suppose the the closest thing to it these days is like the netflix recommendations um where you know you use these three apps and someone else who uses these three apps also uses this fourth app that you um and i think i'd like to see a bit more of that maybe um i'm not exactly sure how it would work because you downloaded facebook so did you know everyone else in the planet. <laughs> but like yeah. if it notices that i'm downloading a certain type of adventure game or or something like that do you know um one of those kind of um i don't know just uh, games of a particular genre i think that mm-hmm. once you make any inroads in in there i think that the the recommendations and you know just seeing that there are other people buying games in that that you know someone who bought that particular game is probably going to either buy something similar or it was a complete and utter mistake in which case they won't have anything else but you know just that kind of a that kind of an element of it because still most of my recommendations for apps tend to come from like human beings um you know baz when it comes to to games and then discussions online for for other things like and that's still where i go and as you said the new app store really i i kind of hit the front page and that's it yeah and i read mm-hmm. i read the articles and i'm like oh that's cool and then you know i i, I don't think i've checked a chart since the new uh app store even like i used to go on and just see what the top top 100 mm-hmm. apps were mm-hmm. and now that's i don't even can you do it easily anymore like you know it's kind of yeah, yeah it's definitely a bit more buried yeah i think even if you went off um tags as well because say you could download a puzzle game and i love escape the room games so any of the rusty lake games or the room they would probably be under puzzle games but they're a particular type of puzzle so if they went off you know okay you're downloading a lot of games with 
escape the room tags in them when people upload the apps they can tag their apps um you know they could probably set up a better filter there kind of like with the with netflix netflix has all these huge amount of um filters or genres they'll have like ninja romance movies or stuff like that you know um obscure stuff but they have so many of them that they can subcategorize all movies and stuff like that that games could be a lot more subcategorized as you said dave you know we both download um escape the room app games and i download one more it should kind of propagate out to all those other people a bit more in the face or i download word games or rhythm games or anything like that that yeah you know tags would probably be a quick and easy way to kind of go in and create and you know a sub genre or anything like that yeah i just think you're back to kind of either you know tag spam or true you know true, and then true, true. it's yeah. the burden is kind of put on apple to moderate that when they're when you're going through the approval process and yeah. then you're like replying to incorrect metadata uh rejections being like no look this is what this type of a game is and i know you know <laughs> so uh, in in theory yeah and i know that you know some other websites third party um app store indexes do that kind of thing but again they don't have the they just don't have the uh the amount of users necessary to give anything mm. anything useful back. yeah i suppose i think one thing that might be that's lacking on the app store is there's you know user feedback in the form of reviews and you can get a quick a quick impression of what how the apps you know you get you see apps that are sort of doing the tag spammy thing or misleading icons and and they tend to have pretty poor uh, reviews for the most part to sort of reflect that so it's a good warning symbol but maybe to save the the need for apple to individually curate each one of these things if you had something like almost like a kind of uh, reddit style voting up and voting down type thing so you could have you know a kind of a big list an infinite list of um of new apps as they come in uh in one view and then people can sort of if they like them or even if it was ranked something like by playtime if if people allow the analytics data to be shown and you know to kind of crowdsource the because you know you can you can pick you can blindly pick based on tags or whatever but as you say dave it's it's open to tag spam and all those sorts of things but generally speaking the amount of time people sink into the game is going to have some reflection on you know whether they like it or not so maybe if it was a sort of tag based thing but then waited on the success of the game when it comes to people who actually download it and play it it might it might push it'll it'll have the same problem of sort of pushing the really the already good stuff up to the top but it might in somewhere in the middle have a kind of interesting balance of of new and interesting stuff that actually is enjoyable to play yeah, i think um we're kind of describing something close enough to uh steam on the, yeah. the pc or the mac yeah, um which does it does have the tags it does have the the hours played it does tell you what your friends list your friends have you know so while mm-hmm. i think that's handy for games um is it is it going to be useful for to-do apps maybe um it could it could very well be so i suppose do we want to to kind of valvify the the app store and make it more like more like steam which is around a lot longer yeah um, I, I believe it's Steam, though, just hearing from articles and stuff, the the first few hours are critical there. Um, my guess is probably the same with the App Store. You know, if you're not getting, if you don't have the marketing in advance of releasing the app then as well, mm-hmm. it can, if it's not been downloaded within the first few hours or the first few days, it's going to get lost there. Um, not, not necessarily, you know, there'll always be apps that will 
you know, build up speed over time, but you kind of, I think, I think there needs to be an, an app for how to market your app or something. There needs to be, that would be good. Yeah. yeah, better marketing tips or just even putting the time into going onto forums and, you know, having a weekly update of your app to get the word out there and stuff like that. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's probably stuff that people don't realize they need to be doing rather than just, okay, I built the app, I've tested the app, I've released the app, but you have to kind of sometimes put the effort into marketing and that's why the big companies just have teams of people out there marketing answering questions for their fans and stuff like that so the developers can you know work solely on the app but (laughs) it's tough to do as a one-man show kind of Mm -hmm. do everything at the same time and you know obviously do your phd and stuff like that or do your full-time job or whatever it might be there's yeah it's it's tricky yeah it definitely is i noticed one thing that's changed um between the last app i released anyway and and the current one which is the form where you can sort of they it used to be an email address you could sort of send off and sort of say please look at my app to the app store promotions team or the editorial team or whatever but they sort of formalized it uh, sometime in the last few months to a form on the website where you can uh you can write in basically i was going through it with tap two you can write in your your um they ask you for like the the itunes id for the app and then some information about it, a little blurb about it, and basically the sort of marketing spiel that you would put in whatever promotional material you're doing. And then they also ask a little sort of about you bit. So, you know, tell us about yourself and where you had the idea and your background and so on. So I guess it's sort of seed material for the kinds of things they put on the the Today pane if they do a little story about a particular app. But then what made me laugh was at the bottom of it, it says, please let us know you know, six to eight weeks in advance of when you plan to submit to the app store. And, you know, I, for, for my apps anyway, six to eight weeks is kind of the entire development lifespan. So you're gonna, <laughs> the yeah, idea yeah, didn't yeah. exist, yeah. Yeah, so unless you have a, a formal um, sort of marketing team to sort of take care of that stuff while you're doing the, the grunt work, or unless you think of an idea and then submit that and then sort of wait for a few days or weeks and then start making the app, it's kind of difficult to, to hit that balance at a sort of typical indie pace. You know, your time for marketing sort of traditionally comes after the time when you make the app, whereas this sort of requires it almost to be happening simultaneously. And what has your marketing strategy been like? I mean, have you have you gone down the paid route? Have you, you know, have you taken out ads? Have you done anything like that? No, I haven't. Uh, I The only ads I ever did were the, um, there was whenever the search ads came in in the app store, they had like a $100 credit um for signing up and i used those but to be honest i didn't really see much of a result and then i noticed they also brought in the they have like search ads basic which is the newer thing where it can kind of take care of your most of the figures you just tell them how much you're willing to spend and over what period of time and they also had a hundred dollar credit for that and i sort of tried running a couple through that with the hundred dollar credit just to see but they had basically no measurable effect and i think it's because people aren't really searching for games so much um unless you're unless you're running ads with clash of clans or something as the as the search terms you're probably not going to be um you're not you're not going to be a search result even for like the types of things people would be searching for that might get your game as an ad um but other than that it's basically been just sort of telling people to please look at my app. Um, I, like I mentioned with Tapped and uh, Deja, they both got reviewed on Touch Arcade, which for Tap brought in quite a lot of downloads. Um, and also I think 
the day it got reviewed on Touch Arcade was like the most lucrative day in my entire time on the App Store. But then I've noticed subsequent games uh, like Deja got reviewed on Touch Arcade as well, and it had pretty much no real impact on downloads. So I don't know whether that's just maybe people who read Touch Arcade are suckers for rhythm games or <laughs> Touch Arcade's readership's gone down or maybe just... I'm not quite sure what the actual explanation for it is, but um, it's, it's, it's kind of time of the day, day of the week, all those little yeah. things, you know. <laughs> I think that's it. I think it's getting, it's sort of tending more and more towards the patterns you expect for viral videos, which is that it's almost impossible to predict what you can do or what will happen that will lead to it. It's just you have to kind of observe after the fact that it went viral after X, Y, and Z, and that's kind of it. You can't really. It's, I think it's getting increasingly difficult to predict ahead of time what will give something the sort of steam to to take off of its own accord. I haven't said that. Like, I mean, you, you seem to be fairly good at just even outside of the apps, just like I see articles from your website pop up in other places that aren't my RSS feed, like, um, and you seem to have that. I won't say semi-repeatable, but you know, you just it, it your your formula seems to be do interesting things, write about it, and you know, um, yeah, maybe submit that, it to think, Hacker News or something. But it it seems yeah. to work, you know. I think that is a big thing that um, at least helps me maybe be a little bit above. I I know that there's, uh, I'm in a very privileged position to be complaining about only getting a thousand downloads even um, <laughs> for the likes of Tap Two. I know that there's so many apps that sort of disappear and. And I don't like I don't know I don't know for a fact, but I know to to all logic that there's uh, a huge amount more apps that there um, a huge amount more apps on the app store than there are people downloading them. So I think the putting up kind of articles and getting sort of yeah, as you said, I think I think almost semi repeatable success is sort of a good way to put it that they get like some people reading them. I think that helps um, just because yeah, it, it sort of keeps me above the baseline. And uh, as you say, it's basically I'll write it and I'll sort of tweet about it and then submit it to if there happens to be an appropriate Reddit subreddit uh, or play, if it takes off on Hacker News, it sort of gets a good bit of um, traffic to the site. And I think uh, apart from anything else, it's sort of helped me. I, I'm not quite sure if I'm the number one Stephen Coyle in a Google search result. I don't check that often, but I used to not be. And I think I'm last time I checked, I was at least kind of higher <laughs> than I was before. <laughs> But I think that I think that does help because um, uh, it just it makes you a little bit easier to be um, spotted in the sort of ocean of people doing similar things. And I, I suppose how we um, met in person then, um, when you met myself at Baz the first time, you were speaking at Ool. Yes, that's right. right. Hard to believe it's like eighteen months ago, maybe. Yeah, I was. Was yeah. that was that twenty? There was been an Ool in between that. There has, yeah. yeah. There has. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, um, again, sort of just in the school of chance in my arm. I saw <laughs> that they had a call for for speakers. And, I mean, in general, I've noticed people are kind of interested when I say that I'm not from a, a background that you would expect um, whenever yeah. I say I develop iOS apps. And I think I definitely have sort of played that maybe to my advantage too because it's... Um, some of the most read things on my website have been talking about being a kind of a music person and then suddenly deciding to learn to develop and lots of people have gotten in touch to kind of ask for more details about that so i, I think i think that's definitely one thing that's um 
something I've had going for me. And I think that's that's what I pitched to the uh, to the people who run Ool, and they seem to again kind of think the idea was interesting and appealing, and so they asked me to to be one of the speakers at so yeah, it was Ool twenty sixteen. Yep, the one in November, guess, wasn't yeah. it? Yes, that's yeah. right. So I gave a talk about uh, basically. I kind of I can almost not refer to the talk without spoiling it, but uh, spoiler <laughs> alert: if you ever if you want to read it without spoilers, you can. There's a, a post on my website called "I've been a programmer for many years," but I'm about to spoil what that's about. So <laughs> I basically talk about how uh, how I've been a programmer for a very long time and how I use this sort of ridiculous, uh, very old and clunky language to program, and explain all the sort of strange behaviors of this language and why it's why it's awful for programming and why it's unreliable and then the sort of reveal is that i show a quote program that i wrote in this language and it's a piece that i wrote uh for choir and sort of the the reveal is that the programming language is like music notation and then i talk a little bit about the similar sort of uh the similar things that uh that are involved, the similar challenges involved in making an app versus making uh, a piece of music and um, explaining why I think being a composer has helped me take on the idea of programming and be able to write apps relatively quickly and easily, I think, um, or at least get started quickly and easily. And uh, so, yeah, I gave that talk and I met a lot of really really nice and interesting people yourselves included um for Moo. and i think i think it also helped just because it's sort of helped me uh take another step forward in terms of actually getting into a community which is very very uh maybe distant from the type of community that i typically have been involved with with music and again you're i suppose you're probably physically um removed from that as well to some extent um you know you're you're not living in a a big city that has or anymore anyway um that has a developer mm-hmm. community or anything like that so it's it's kind of good to 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 create those links to kind of take with you we th- yeah we thought yeah. we were in the sticks but you really are in the sticks <laughs> yes very very much so i i don't think uh your uh, ios meetups are like incredibly crowded compared to what i imagine attendance would be like here um but it's been interesting you know it's it's sort of I've seen a lot of people who have had similar experiences where, you know, the vast majority of their their techie friends are kind of over the internet or over online communities and so on. And I don't think it's it's not as much of an encumbrance for for the tech side of things as it is for music. You know, if you kind of want to get stuff played and performed and engage with musicians, I think not having physical proximity to them is a lot more of a of a nuisance. But it's not so bad uh again i guess being a one-man band sort of thing as well means that i don't have you know there's nobody that i'm working with that i'm far away from it's just a case of i can put the app up on the app store and it'll be just as invisible if i do it from Donegal as if i did it from san francisco <laughs> um steven are you still running a hackintosh uh i guess the answer to that is yes and no because i literally physically at this moment am but not i'm not using it uh it's i have it as my little sort of server in the other room there which uh is running just it's running mac os server because um because the hard drives that i have all my video files on so i make little short films and stuff um my girlfriend and i have a sort of little production company and i need to have a lot of files that won't fit on my laptop and i want to have them on something that's going to be backed up so i have this little hackintosh running 
and it backs them all up to backblaze so it's kind of it could probably be done on something much simpler but for the time being it's handy just to have it as that i used to use one as my kind of main computer but i don't anymore what version of the os is it on that is a good question i think it's possibly is it el capitan the one before sierra yeah um yeah i just haven't i've been kind of afraid to upgrade it because it works and i don't want to break it and would you i suppose okay okay for a few questions a did you did you pick the parts for a hackintosh or did you have the parts anyway and you tried to build a hackintosh i picked the ones for this i picked the cheapest most modern uh components that would do the trick at the time and i know some things are a pain in the arse due to kind of certificates and system verification like iMessage and stuff but say yeah. as a dev machine like would you recommend it like you know we're, we're i think one of the things about this podcast is like we don't all have like teslas and imac pros and mm-hmm. stuff and generally you know apple gear is expensive so so anyway mm-hmm. trying to save money like do you think for desktops for you was it worth it or was it just too much kind of messing around uh i would say um well, I'd say my, my messing around threshold has decreased since I used one for my own desktop. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I it's probably mostly just an artifact of being busy. Like I used to, so basically I had a desktop that I built something like 2011, um, so seven or eight years ago, and I used it with Windows at the time. And then I eventually sort of made it into a Hackintosh, which I used as my sort of daily computer for um quite a while it was a lot faster than the macbook that i had at the time so it was a, there was a good incentive to use it and then when i got my current macbook pro it's it's about the same speed as it so i sort of still used it out of habit because it was there but it did have the problems of iMessage didn't work really sometimes it would work randomly but i just kind of assumed it didn't work because it was too much too much annoyance to sort of try it and see that it wasn't working and i'm trying to think other than that i think it was pretty much okay things like um things like continuity didn't work but i think that was just because it it had really ancient bluetooth um i think it's a similar problem with with macs of a similar era that unless they have a certain a certain version of bluetooth things like continuity or the things that require kind of proximity or knowledge of proximity don't work um I haven't actually even tried iMessage on this server Hackintosh that I have at the moment because I just haven't had the need. But assuming you're kind of okay with the with the lack of iMessage and sort of maybe the little the slightly luxurious features like handoff and continuity, I think they work just fine. Um but you also have a MacBook Pro as well, right? I do, yeah. And uh it's the one I, I use it like 100% of the time now, mainly because it's just too much hassle to sort of keep two systems uh, updated and having everything that you want to have on each one um, kind of at all times. Uh, but I would say if, you, if you're willing to put in a bit of time and sort of have like it'll, I would say it would be delusional to think you won't lose a few weekends to it, getting it sort of, you know, working as well as it's going to work. But if you kind of pick stuff that's known to be compatible hardware-wise and are willing to put in a bit of time fooling around and um, accepting maybe what won't work before you spend a month trying to get it to work, it can more or less do the trick. I'd say, I would say, you know, for somebody whose funds are limited, 
and they can either buy like a crappy low-end or old or secondhand macbook or a really really good desktop that is kind of going to be mostly compatible it's kind of well worth it i would say and is there anything on your shopping list for this year do you think um that's a good question i kind of had a i kind of treated myself a few times last year i got the the 10.5 inch ipad uh, you pro you did not you rotter <laughs> i think i actually had it i think i had it when i was down visiting oh, you, you guys did, yeah. you did yeah I think. He's, um, we all, we nearly all bought them after that yeah. <laughs> yeah. um uh but it's really good i really love it um it's kind of i would say i wish i could use it for more things um you know there's there's too many uh like audio editing and music notation stuff is still uh, I wouldn't say it's good on macOS, but it's it's awful on iOS. So um, I would, I wish I could use it for more things like that. But yeah, I bought that, and then I got AirPods uh, at the start of the year. I think it might have even been like the December of the previous year. Which you uh, had, I was going to say, a worse accident than I did with my AirPods. But actually, to be fair, you got to keep your AirPods. Yeah, I was reading, uh, or I'm not reading. I heard on the the previous podcast about your your unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, the demise of one of your AirPods. I haven't. I I think, yeah, I dropped mine in the toilet on like the second or third day of having them. Ooh. Well, I dropped one in the toilet, but uh, basically, I uh, I got it out and I rinsed it and dried it, and it was okay, thankfully, and it's still okay now. It's just fine. I I don't even know which one it is now. Um, but. Yeah, I, got, I, I had since, I've since like seen videos where people have tested them in like washing machines and stuff like that, and they seem to be just fine. So uh, I guess they're like, they're obviously water resistant enough to kind of survive those sort of things. But yeah, um, I don't know what's on my shopping list. I kind of would, I would like an iPhone 10, but uh, I'm a way off having, having or wanting to spend that much money on one. Yep. <laughs> So anyway, I bought a OnePlus One, and then I used it for like a year or two, and then I got I got a 6S Plus, and then I got a 7 the following year. And when I was getting the 7, I thought I may as well just get the, the iPhone upgrade thingy because it had just come out at the time. And I thought if I'm going to be upgrading more often than not, I may as well sort of get the benefits of that. And then, of course, I moved out of the UK just uh, around the time I would have benefited from it, so it didn't have any any use for me at all. If I'd been in the UK still, I probably would have been tempted just to get the X because I would have just had to had to keep paying the same amount that I was paying, you know, monthly for this. But um, that's kind of a moot point at this point. Yeah, I do hope they bring out that program here. Um, it's pretty good. It's mm. been I haven't had to use it yet, but the fact that it has Apple Care included is pretty good. It's meant I haven't bothered using a case on the seven because I know it's like. I think it's £29 for a screen replacement, which is pretty good. I've been dropping my phone a hell of a lot recently, and the corner's just actually fallen off the letter case. Oh, wow. Well, good thing yeah. you had it. <laughs> <laughs> really good thing I've had it. It's been, yeah, falling on its face constantly, and that letter case has been a superstar. Cool, cool. I kind of missed the plus size. I went for the regular size 7, um, and I kind of like the smaller size in a lot of ways but then i occasionally see someone with a plus and i kind of miss the the room yeah th- th- that's the thing it's just like i want the 10 the 10 is smaller mm-hmm. and the 10 is too expensive the 10 plus whatever it's going to be the plus size version of the next model jesus that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be hitting up because uh-huh. it's it's in and around 1700 euro yeah for 
a a good one probably with insurance and everything else but uh you're looking up to maybe two grand for a phone or something maybe next year and i'm like hmm, no <laughs> pro then steven is it the it's the i think it's the second generation retina one so the right tw- yeah 2013 <clears throat> Okay, it's so old enough, so no, but no desire to kind of think of a replacement. Uh, when I have a successful app uh, in the near future, <laughs> maybe, but for the, for the time being, um, I'm, I, well, to be honest, I was looking at the benchmarks for the kind of newer ones, and it's it's still all around the sort of 10, 20% faster type thing. So yeah. I don't know, like, it's not, not worth dropping a few grand on. I think uh, I tweeted um, you guys already, but I'll... I was telling you about my brother's experience getting his replaced. Oh, he had a jammy yeah, bugger. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he had some incredible luck. He he got a... So, yeah, he was using a Chromebook for a long time um, because it was, like, all he could afford at the time. And uh, he was learning to kind of code on that using the likes of Code Academy and stuff. And then he... Um, I spotted like a MacBook Pro. It was like the first generation Retina one. Um, like it was in itself, it was an unbelievable deal because it was two hundred and fifty pounds for basically a spec out first generation fifteen inch Retina MacBook Pro. And it was a guy. He was like a researcher or something, and he was selling it off because he basically got a new, a new research position, and they gave him a new laptop, so he just wanted rid of it. And it was fine, except the battery was knackered because uh, he basically had it plugged in on a desk for four years. And then during the summer this year, the battery stopped working completely. He took it up to the Apple store and they didn't have any batteries in stock. And so they first replaced it with a 2016 uh, MacBook Pro, like the pre-touch bar ones. But the one that they gave him to replace it had a flaw where the screen would just go scrambled. It was obviously some kind of GPU issue. So he brought it back again to the Apple store and I guess maybe pitying him making the trek from Donegal to Belfast over and over they just gave him a 2017 Touch Bar MacBook Pro top model. I know. So I'm in the untenable position that my younger brother has a better laptop than me, so I may have to upgrade for that reason alone. You're, you're not trying to, like, spill a glass of water over it or anything? <laughs> I'm praying for a, a... There happens to be some <laughs> fatal manufacturing flaw with mine that has yet to be uncovered that forces yeah. them to replace them all. Have you any screen la- delamination in your laptop, Stephen? No, I got lucky with that. Um, it was fine. Um, it still seems to be fine. Um, I know a friend of mine had had uh, the same generation one and his was terrible, but they replaced the screen for him. I have had a couple of kind of scary graphical glitches a couple of times in the last year, but I think they're more a software thing because it doesn't seem to be having any, any issues since that. Are you a complete com- convert now? You'll never go back to Windows? Yeah, no, for sure. I've, I actually... Other than I think I got a laptop, my first laptop in like 2002 or three, um, and then I got a Mac in 2006, and I've basically used a Mac since. Um, I did have a, I had a Windows PC for games that I built, the one I later turned into a Hackintosh, but I still, I still pretty much used Macs the majority of the time, bar maybe mm-hmm. a kind of a six month stretch where I ended up using Windows more. But yeah, no, I, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't want to go back. The times I have used Android or, my, or Windows more is because I've been literally flat broke and it's uh, <laughs> it's the only option. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I use my Windows laptop and work a fair oh, bit. Yeah? I didn't I just, know you had a Windows laptop. 
Oh, like I borrowed one off someone basically they had a load of them so I, I need a lot of times to um flash firmware and stuff like that right so I have a lot of hardware and work that I need to flash and the only programs are basically Windows programs they don't have Mac programs which is fair enough I guess but um yeah yeah I use mine and it's a horrible mess like it's do you know it's it's small things like when you click on finder all finder windows come to the front so you mm-hmm. can pick the one you want but on that thing it's like you have to individually click on oh, i don't know it's just small things that really really get to me uh, i just find the whole thing very very clunky and i couldn't go back but um yeah there's they're they're okay they're okay <laughs> is it windows 10 yes what i do like is i know we have the command space to search for apps and stuff they just have the windows button search so i find that very very easy to navigate around but um i just find it you might install a lot of programs on it and they might not appear in your task manager or whatever it's called or the programs list you might actually have to go or create the icon for it. it's just there's certain things that don't go well but it's not that way so So, Stephen, in terms of like 2018 and kind of technologies you want to work with like uh, uh, seeing on your apps list um was it the was it top two you did a sort of server side component in PHP? Uh, yes, it was. Um, I did actually do a server side component for Deja as well, um, because I I had to have a big long list of questions. Um, as a slight tangent, the way that I like manage the songs in Tapped One is like a horrific uh, mess of sort of like I I eventually added sort of uploading or sorry updating of the levels and it's this ridiculous solution of um downloading a file and unzipping it and replacing files and the whole a whole rigmarole of silly things and i wanted to kind of learn how to do it properly with deja because adding questions and stuff kind of required a lot more it would have been too slow to do this the uh thing that i didn't tapped so i learned php and sort of uh, mysql and stuff like that to be able to actually do proper um database calls to send down like any questions that have changed or new ones and i also one nice upside of that was that i also then made my own uh very basic analytics stuff i had been using google's firebase thing before which is is uh horrible so i was kind of glad to dump that just just to report simple things like number of users and paid users and then things like push notification tokens and stuff like that um so it's kind of all homegrown um using php currently but i'd like to kind of i'd like to look into that a little bit more um just to be able to kind of get my bearings um i learned like i i kind of rebuilt my website in i think november just from scratch because again i just wanted to kind of get a bit more familiar with the likes of html5 and and uh php and just kind of uh to have a bit more sort of stuff in my in my armament for whenever I actually want to start doing this more, you know, at a more dedicated level to be able to kind of do the sort of things that you probably will need to do sooner or later, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So when do you sleep? <laughs> I sleep too much. Um, <laughs> I sleep when I should be doing my PhD work. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's it's always been... As I talked about, um, I can't remember if I talked about it in the, the old talk or not, but I wrote a post on my website about it as well, about how 
like for me whenever i have a goal it's like it's literally the difference between actually following through and learning something and not so you know for the likes of the php and mysql stuff the goal was basically i needed to be able to do it in order to make deja and i wanted to make deja so i kind of i just had to had to do it and then likewise i wanted to remake my website myself and i kind of needed to to learn x y and z to do that and so i did but that's kind of in general the way that i have learned stuff is by kind of having a project that i know i want to do and then just kind of forcing myself to learn whatever i need to do to do that so i think it kind of comes together quickly because it's very it's very project driven and the results come quickly because i'm just learning the stuff i kind of like i'm taking the boxes of what i need to learn to precisely do a particular project um so i think that's it's helped kind of get things get a basic level of of stuff together pretty quickly and i think hopefully it'll be a good sort of model moving forward because i can basically list out the things that i don't know how to do for any particular project and then in i can simultaneously learn the things while doing the project itself as well i think that's yeah i think that's a good strategy for learning new things in general Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say, I'd, I'd imagine, um, that follows how, uh, we'd work as well, guys, is mm-hmm. it? Well, um, mostly I just, on the newer stuff. I just read Hacker News and become bitter, but <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think like being practical about it, I think often, cause you can sort of say, oh, I want to learn X in a kind of a an abstract sense but when it comes down to actually getting something done um you can get through things really quickly i think mm-hmm. i think that's it like i i always there is a kind of reaction of like oh how did you learn this or how did you manage to put this together but it's it's sort of i think because people view something like learning to make an app as doing a computer science course in college where it's you know this massive body of work that you've got to get it cover front to back before you can do it when in reality it's you know, I remember when I first made Tapped, it was maybe a couple of hours hooking up a button in Interface Builder and then a couple more hours sort of just doing some things like working out the time between presses of buttons. But it was all very incremental and very, very basic stuff. And I think as long as you don't get overwhelmed by like the totality of what you might need to do for a project and just focus on like the next step, it sort of helps a lot. I think it's a lot less it's a lot less of a major thing undertaking than people might think to actually get started and to get something, you know, from to a kind of working prototype stage, maybe. A purpose-driven development. <laughs> yeah, good term. Awesome. So, what about you guys? Have you any um, side projects or personal projects on the on the go? Um, I think I talked about it in the Those word snap coming best. Yeah, word snap. Actually, do you know what? For the crack, okay. Because I've been doing the AR stuff, so this will probably be in the other podcast you haven't heard yet, Stephen, um, mm-hmm. the one we recorded last time. Um, I've been doing a lot of AR stuff, and I was just talking to you about that just when we were having a break there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for the crack just to make word snap and then make like word snap on a wall. <laughs> Like if we can use AR kit to scan a wall and can I lob the game up on the wall? Because I don't know, um I was looking at the video there last year from um WWDC and they were talking about using Sprite Kit with AR Kit. Um and it's pretty easy. It's basically if if I could rewrite my app in Sprite Kit, um 
basically you find a surface and then you basically just add a sprite cut scene to it. So I was like, it's a bit like Countdown, the game. Um, why not like throw it up on the wall and then you get to kind of play it? I don't know, it'd be kind of fun. But that's the only thing I'm thinking about at the moment. I'm really enjoying the AR stuff at the moment because I guess I see stuff in my head that I want to do. It's pretty tricky. Myself and Dave, we talked about before on the podcast, have done Vuforia, which is OpenGL. It's a bit harder, but um, Apple are making it definitely easier and kind of, you know, yeah, pretty stupidly easy for people to kind of get in there and do some AR stuff mm-hmm. that I finally think I'm going to be able to do it. I mean, some of the 3D stuff is a bit tricky, but yeah, for me, AR is definitely where I want to go in my work in my company um i think a big thing for us is because we sell hardware is i would love so i'm, I'm talking to one of the guys inside and work and he's like when we sell hardware they come with pin sheets so it's this little 2d card dave you might know this i guess and you basically place your board in it and it tells you what each pin does on the board so we could have stuff like that where I wanted to be able to teach people how to use the hardware because we might be selling it to people who are less techy but want to kind of get into, you know, monitoring and smart homes, smart whatever might be agriculture, that they can scan their hardware that they bought physically and it would tell them, you know, this is where you place uh, your shields. Like it's an Arduino, you might place your shields on top of it. This is how you place them on it. This is where the on switch is, you know, anything like that. Or this is where you connect USB cables, anything that makes stuff a bit more user-friendly. Um, that's where I see most of the AR going inside and work. Some of the cooler features we might do later on, we'll see that they stick, but I want AR to make things user-friendly that you use our app to set up your hardware and our app also teaches you how to use our hardware. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I want to do. That's good. Cool. Is so, WordSnap currently um, UIKit? Yes. <laughs> well, it's funny though, because I know, um, I think it's kind of infamous at this point, but you know, the app PCalc has like, it's incredibly yeah. elaborate uh, about screen. Yeah. I think... Um, I think you can like spawn ca- like you virtual calculators, and I think you they can. actually run like the UI kit uh, yes. PCALC app on the virtual surface. Yeah, so they, I believe they kind of have some like physics where you can drop loads on them on top of each other, but mm-hmm. individually you can do calculations on each of them that you drop on the floor. Yeah, I, I think I think they may be. I think they might. I can't remember offhand, but I remember playing with it, and I think they all kind of mirror the same, like the actual interface oh, of the live calculator app. So okay. I, it may be something like it's sort of mirroring the the view onto the surface or something like that but at least it's like it's possible to do it i guess yeah and like i mean this is stuff i did in my masters um of you know you shoot you basically you tap the screen and it shoots a ray through dave you might know better what it is but it just basically shoots a ray through and if it is intersects with you know uh a sprite then it's been tapped and stuff like that it's right again all that stuff is just all taken care of with ARKit, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I kind of want to go down that road. And I even think with any of your stuff with Tapped, you know, you could very easily um, recreate that in SceneKit. And I guess that's what ARKit now has kind of shown me. SceneKit and SpriteKit, they're very, very, very easy to use. Um, that, you know, you could just get whatever you do, whatever app you make, do it in sprite kit and you could just do an ar game just for the laugh um, cool, yeah, that, crack. Sounds, 
Yeah, I will definitely check that out. That's yeah. I, I wasn't aware that it was. I always felt it was uh, difficulties or whatever, but I must check that out. No, I think. Um, and are your apps UI kit mainly? Yeah, mine are all all UI kit. Yeah, yeah sp- Sprite kit is pretty much the exact same as UI kit. I, I you know, I, I, I'm completely wrong, probably in just in that statement, but you won't, <laughs> have, you won't have any issues. Definitely learning it. Cool. Yeah, I always thought you had a very good aesthetic in your design. Um, oh, thank you. I've always liked it. You know, it's simple, but it's clear. And yeah, it, there's, it just contrasts well, I guess, whatever your design. Do you have any design background yourself? Uh, no, I... I do, you, do you beg, borrow, steal kind of thing? Or do you look at other people for inspiration? Or do you just go with what you feel looks good? I tend to go with what I feel uh, that just looks good. I don't... There mm-hmm. are things like... There are sort of designs I like, and I'm sure I'm subconsciously being being influenced by them but i i guess i'm also i'm trained in being afraid to steal other people's stuff in music so i kind of try yes. i guess the same mindset carries over um yeah. it's funny like i i have a kind of internal rule that i don't allow myself to use like the same design language sort of more than twice so um there was a little game i made i made it after i started making tap but it was actually the first game i put on the app store um it was just a little like color matching game but it was something because i wanted to try out i didn't have any idea how to put stuff on the app store and i wanted to sort of test it out before i you know did release tapped which i actually was like concerned about actually doing well so i kind of used this little pixel style for it and then that's i ended up sort of uh moving that on to tapped as well and it sort of had this like 8-bit sort of 16-bit look to it yes yeah and then uh the next couple of apps had a kind of a similar ish look to each other and kind of tried to move away from the 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 look of tapped and then um deja and tap 2 i feel are kind of using a pretty similar design language they're much more like vibrant colors and bold text sort of look um and so i kind of feel like now my instinct is to to try and do something different and i usually um i usually open like a document in something like affinity designer is the one i'm using at the moment or affinity design the kind of affinity the illustrator equivalent Mm -hmm. to uh, affinity photos photoshop and i just usually mess around with sort of the things that i know i have to have on the screen so like whatever minimal ui or buttons that the game requires i'll put them there somewhere or other and then play around until i I tend to I tend not to start the game until I have a kind of a decent idea of what it what I want it to look like. Tap two actually, funnily enough, looks a lot more like the very original design for Tap One, but I didn't feel like I could make it look look decent at the time, and I kind of abandoned ship on it. And I felt like the pixel style was a kind of cheap and easy way of making it look look better. But um, part of that was because I just at the time I had no idea how to do anything like animations or anything like that, so it, it all felt very it felt very stodgy with a playing style unless I could do sort of nice animations um, along with that. And I feel I can do those things a little bit more, uh, a little bit more now. So I, it yeah, kind yeah. of, it frees you up, I think, to go for a more minimal look because you can, definitely, yeah, yeah. you can make it feel a bit more vibrant and lively. Mm-hmm. I have a typeface yeah. question. Um, so for tap two um, word flash, uh, that, mm-hmm. that typeface looks like Futura. It is well spotted. Uh, what did you use for Deja? I don't recognize that one. It's also for Futura. Is it? The, the, okay. The bold, bold, condensed. No, I think it's just just Futura bold. Uh, 
that's gas because Dave, you have your font that you do everything on. <laughs> I do. <laughs> League Spartan, yeah. Yeah. So f- future for the next one? No, I can't. I, I cheated by allowing myself to use Futura for tap two because I, I broke my rule of not using it for two for more than two uh, things. I think sequels are okay. I think Maybe, sequels yeah, are fine. Yeah. They're in the same family, so well, you know. it's kind of it's interesting because I the unreleased game Counterpoint is. Uh, I would feel like it's a similar design look to Word Flash, and it's they were kind of successive games in terms of when I made them. It mm-hmm. was the ne- the next game I made afterwards, and uh, they both used like standard Futura. And then because I didn't release Counterpoint, I allowed myself to use Futura again for Deja, and but I used like the bold uh, version. So I kind of I have been cheating myself out of my kind of uh, unwritten rule, but uh, I have actually I mocked up a new game uh last week and i i said right i can't i can't use future anymore because i don't want to be i hate being sort of again this is probably a holdover from like composing but i I hate kind of being boxed into like the guy who does x and so i thought like the the only rule i had for the design of the new game was that it can't use future Yeah, feel free to use League Spartan anyway (laughs) i don't think i I know it offhand is that what i use in words now dave uh at some point, yeah, but I don't think it survived. Right, Marker felt all the way. <laughs> I send, I, I, the comic sends of iOS. Comic sends, yeah. I definitely need to change whatever I'm using. The D's and the O's look too similar. So, I think it's a good a good rule of thumb um, in general because if you get, I don't know, there's sort of two types of of designs I've seen in like the likes of indie developers' work or even just like game studio work, which is take a path and sort of keep getting better at the path you're going mm-hmm. down or else try something totally different and you, i think you get better faster trying something totally different because you kind of you pick your poison and then try to make it work sort of thing where you know it's it's more of a challenge to to go to pick something and then you just have to make it work one way or another so like the the new game that i kind of mocked up a little bit requires it's another word game uh, but it kind of requires a monospace font just because of the way it the way it works. Um, and so I had to kind of I ended up choosing Menlo because it's like the nicest looking monospace font that's built in on iOS. Is that the but, Xcode font? Uh, good question. I'm using the San Francisco mono and Xcode at the minute. I'm not, I can't remember what the default one is. That is possibly the most hipster thing you said this po- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you away with it. <laughs> well, um, it may well be the default one. It's it is one of the the like included ones on iOS and macOS. It so, is, yes, I'm Francisco yeah. Mono. So, um, but yeah, I think I think it takes more effort to to feel fresh and different, and uh, if you're kind of reusing the same style but refining it and then i think that's also a problem if you're trying to be like an indie person and you're trying to attract people mostly just through your the icon the look of your game if it looks Uh, and your appearance on celebrity podcasts yes yes (laughs) (laughs) um absolutely did you clear the check by the way yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. my my people sorted it out for me thanks Have you ever, have you, um, I didn't, uh, get around to asking Dave and Thomas if they had any, any side projects on the go themselves. Survivor. That's it. Yeah. Very little at the moment now. Um, 
But other than that, it's not a bad thing either, to be honest. I I think my la- last few side projects have caused me more pain than pleasure. Yeah, I've I've big plans for eventually when I when I do decide to to pull the trigger. But at the moment, mm. I'm small little programming exercises just to to kind of uh, I suppose just keep me keep me up yeah. to date. Like, but no no big mm-hmm. plan or anything. Nothing that'll ever see the the light of day. I, I've definitely hit a few roadblocks, Dave, if you ever want to help out. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I might contact you. Do about please. <laughs> I know all the geometry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it works in my head, but when I code it, it doesn't work. So, you know, it must be Xcode. You know, they must have no <laughs> That's it. It's X- <laughs> Xcode. <laughs> works with Baz's brain version. <laughs> Reminds me, like back in two thousand and eight, I remember when I was, we we were new to everything iOS, like, and I remember yes. we were doing I forget what we were doing something anyway. It was to do with the accelerometer, and I remember that oh my God. the accelerometer gave values in a certain way. It's it's probably the same way it does it now. And then I'd like converted things to this, and then I'd converted this, and then something needed in that, and then I realized that I'd done this elaborate like double conversion from the original values. Yeah to something third some other representation and then from that back to the other yes <laughs> original <laughs> values and my brain didn't see any problem with this whatsoever like because so yeah i'll explain to you actually Stephen. um the first game or one of the first games myself and dave ever met uh was it needed an accelerometer mm-hmm. but we didn't have iPhones, so right, okay. dave programmed to take the input from the accelerometer of the max to work on the uh, Xcode simulator. Um, oh, so wow. when we were testing this, this at the time, Dave wrote the code, we'd actually pick up our Macs and tilt them side <laughs> to side to see this working. <laughs> I swear to God, this That's is how amazing. we did things back in the day. This is back when Interface Builder and Xcode were two separate um apps on here your, they wow. go again Stephen. <laughs> in my day yes i know the other day, but anyway <laughs> i just i just think it was amazing uphill both ways in the snow yeah <laughs> D- dave was able to get this working and oh my god it, lots of stories but basically we we couldn't even build apps on um our i touches at the time because we waited so long for our licensing that we had to you know you know, fake certificates and stuff like that going back. Oh, the right. It was ridiculous. But um, yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about because I saw so many people talking about the 10th anniversary of the original iPhone SDK mm. and all that stuff. But I was thinking of a similar thing that I thought of before with regard to music where uh, thinking about, you know, I complain a lot about I use Sibelius, which is like a music notation software. And it's there's a lot to complain about. But then I think about about, you know, Beethoven writing like a 150 or 200 page orchestral score and I, I wonder to myself like would I have done it if I was back then like would I care would I have cared enough and I usually think I wouldn't have because it's just such a monumental effort but then I, I was having similar thoughts of like back in the battle days of of before it was all nice and and before Swift and before yeah. all of the little luxuries I'm used to would I have even if I had tried or had the motivation at the time would I actually have have followed through with the tools that were available my one recommendation if you haven't been using it already for your phd is uh latex i don't know if you ever used it before oh yeah i'm i'm vaguely familiar with it yes that would that, that just i did my i obviously did my my undergraduate but when i did my uh my master's that was the best thing ever because 
yeah that's my one recommendation there. you just look up latex if you ever I have a chance it. It, it, it might help you out in a few situations cool, clearly cool. Stephen's yeah. going to write it a markdown and then create his own custom parser <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be in AR so they have to look through the phone yeah, to read it all exactly. oh yeah the first yeah. AR and their hands will get tired up to you know after page 20 so they'll stop reading then and you'll be like, <laughs> A plus plus that sounds like a really one, good one. plan <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get back to the what's making us happy? <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, so uh, Stephen, as you may know, uh, at the end of every episode, we say what's making us happy this week. So, mm-hmm. uh, if you have something, uh, you feel free to join in. Otherwise, you can just yeah. No, I I, I, I anticipated this um, because I, I know it's such a it's a very prominent segment. I really like the segment because it's just. Uh, it's kind of a nice break from the typical giving out on a lot of tech podcasts. Um, but uh, the thing that's making me happy, I think, lately is I, after seeing a couple of people tweet about it, I tried out, um, it's called Homebridge. It's like a... Yes. Oh, you, you guys know about it? I'm sure you do. Uh, the, like, I think it's like a little node uh, app that runs on like a Raspberry Pi or something, and it can sort of act as a little go-between between like devices that don't support HomeKit. And... I set it up to work with, uh, I had to do a little bit of messing around to get it to work with them, but um, some like remote plugs that I have. And so I can turn on my, my lights in my office and my laptop and stuff with, with uh, Siri. So that's pretty cool. Nice. And what what do you think your next edition is? Like, so the, uh, Dave and Baz both have Lifix bulbs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think you're going to make any purchases? Um probably not for the time being um home pod come on you're the music person what's your sort of 22nd home pod thought you don't have like 400 euro lying around no <laughs> no uh, not unfortunately at the minute but uh i don't know the home pod i i haven't really been hugely tempted probably because i'm i'm so used to listening to music on headphones and stuff that like being able to to like blast off out loud is just not something that really is a, a major concern for me at the minute but it would be i'm sure it would be nice to have in my sleek white living room with my plain white furniture whenever i eventually have one <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah no i think i'll probably get more remote plugs the the current the current way that i'm doing it is ridiculous because i have uh, they're just the little, you know, the plugs you can get. I think I got them in Lidl that have the little remotes that you can turn off and on. And I find a little, a little Arduino program to like send the same signals and turn them off and on. And the, and are they RF or IR the remotes? They're RF, so it's a little okay. bit more reliable. It, like it reaches through furniture and stuff. And basically, uh, there's a little library for the Raspberry Pi that basically allows it to run more or less Arduino programs and so I'm just running on the Raspberry Pi instead and then the Homebridge is just basically triggering a little script that turns off the plug or turns on the plug so it's a very old school and very very cheap way of doing it and I probably it does enough that I'll probably not need to buy anything else for the time being but I mean I'd like to get maybe the the fancy light bulbs and stuff at some stage. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to go next? Yep cool. Mine is a very 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 boring what's making me happy um so as a useful counterpoint to steven's stories a sort of 
indie app development and excitement and design uh when you sell out that like we did one of the things you have to deal with is enterprise software um and namely that you have to use really bad tools in order to get your work done and one of the most awful tools Baz, I think you have to use it. Dave, I'm not sure about you, is Skype for Business. Oh, Skype for Business. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> it is. Do you know what? It's not, it's not the worst. Thomas. Shut up. It is you the worst. Up. Like, messages don't come through. And oh, so. Actually, what I hate about it is, is some message you and you get the notification toast, whatever it calls um, in Mac. Yeah. You come back and you click and it goes oh no, we deleted this for security reasons. And it's like, I don't know what that person said. So I'm constantly like, sorry, it deleted it. Can you tell me what you said again? And you're on Windows and it saves on Windows. And it's like, oh. So Skype for <laughs> Business is a completely separate code base to Skype. Um, it's an internal Microsoft product called Link that they renamed Skype for Business because oh, renaming things always makes them um, so much better. Um, so... I, like, I can't tell you the frustration I have using this horrible, horrible app, but uh, Microsoft to come out with something called Teams, which is, I think, an Electron-based cross-platform app. Um, Competitor to Slack kind of a thing, is it? Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know why, but Microsoft seemed to be the only company that are able to make a half-decent uh, Electron app. Um like David, I don't know, or, or Stephen or Baz, I don't know if any of you have used uh, Visual Studio Code. Yeah, I love it. I've used it a lot. Yeah, and like it really doesn't feel like a web view. Um, mm -hmm. So like obviously it's not as nice as a native app, but uh, Skype for Business is so bad that uh, even a half-decent uh, Microsoft Electron app feels like a... Such an improvement. So there you go. That's the excitement <laughs> of my professional life. Uh, a slightly shitty chat app, chat app is making me happy. Can <laughs> <laughs> um, I jump in? Yep. Mm. Go for it. Um, I'm going to speak for all of us here, but having Stephen on the podcast today was class, actually. It was really, really fun. Um, oh, likewise. I've been really, really enjoying it. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it was really nice. And you're definitely invited back again. Um, yeah. Well, We're just going to like quiz you, and you, basically you can make the podcast while we ask you one question. You speak for thirty <laughs> minutes. You know, it's great. Um, one thing I did recently, which I haven't done, I guess, before too much, was I had a couple of transition year students. Um, so transition year in Ireland is basically when you're about sixteen, you kind of have big exams, and you're. 15 and then you kind of have a DOS year where it's a year kind of off where you're in and you're learning new stuff and you don't have to necessarily do it it's purely optional but some schools do it but one of the things is that you get work placement uh back in my day it was only two weeks but nowadays it's a whole four weeks of work wow. placement which is hard to get but I had two twins, 16-year-olds, in me for a week, and they wanted, or I was told to teach them programming. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of was teaching in my phone programming and stuff like that, but I, I guess the enjoyment I got out of it was making a nap isn't too difficult um, in terms of if your programming knowledge isn't that strong, you can visually uh, create an app, I guess, in Xcode, which is what we develop apps in, um, with very, very, very limited 
coding you know knowledge in terms of hooking up buttons so you press a button and something happens um i just kind of thought that the ease of i guess getting into iphone development is quite nice and because it's visually engaging um i would hope that it's a good platform for people to start in because apps are ubiquitous now Android, I don't really, I can't really tell. It's a bit harder, but I think iPhone development is something you can probably get into very, very quickly and get something working. And I'd hope it'd be a good starting point for people. And I guess for you, Stephen, it, it might have been kind of a, I don't know, for you, did you go in and kind of go, oh, I got something working relatively straightforward or pretty quickly, but I just enjoyed it. And I think they enjoyed it. And at the end of it, we made two or three different apps. We made Hangman in the end. We made um, a biology learning tool with a skeleton that you clicked on different body parts and loads of different things. And uh, yeah, sorry, Stephen, I was kind of asking you a question and moved on. But did you find oh, it? Right. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're, I can really empathize with that because I think the feedback loop is so short then you can see results so fast it keeps the motivation really high yeah 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 i think that was my main thing and i hope they took that away that you know i tried to list i kind of went over back and forth it was like okay we did object to see so it's like okay we've three different things here we have where you draw your app where you hook up all your buttons your text whatever and then where you program it and it's like there's three different steps that you can do and I hope it stuck with them anyway, and I hope it didn't scare them off programming. But I really enjoyed the week anyway, teaching with them, even though, you know, they're 16 year olds and distracted by Snapchat and everything else. But it was a good way to kind of, that they use their phones so much, kind of go, okay, you use Snapchat, you use this, let's recreate that element in it, let's recreate that element in it. And then they kind of learn, okay, the app I'm using every day isn't that hard to make. So yeah, I hope they go off and become the next Collison brothers and um, become Stephanie billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. That's me, Dave. Cool. Yeah. So um, I'm always on the lookout for new podcasts to listen to. And one that I came across this week is Darknet Diaries, uh, true stories from the dark side of the internet. And it's only about 14 episodes in so far. So it's been going since uh, September and it seems to be roughly every one episode every two weeks and it is stories about um the again the dark side of the web so there's things like the the vtech toy tablet hack and it covers that um the diginotar uh breach you know so they're all nice little episodes they're no longer than about a half an hour some of them are shorter some of them are a little longer and it's just um pretty good kind of uh documentary style that modern documentary style podcast about these particular particular topics so well worth the listen sounds good yep so that's it for this week and thank you Stephen, for sitting in with us thank you thank you for having me yeah thanks so much it's been great <laughs>